0: and let's turn to Colossians chapter 3 for the sake of the cause of Christ who is our life we are to mortify verse 4 for the sake of the cause of Christ in the home, in the church we are to put off anger, wrath malice filthy communication and lying very detrimental to the cause of Christ to the home, to the church We're to understand that we are a new creature in Christ and that new creation is available to everyone, verse 11. There are no boundary lines, no lines drawn in the sand that people cannot cross, no walls put up. Everyone, anyone can have that new creature in Christ, what he wants of us. Beyond that, then, we should put on mercy. That's verse 12 kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Stop for a second. An analogy, one that works for my little feeble mind. Let's say you're getting ready to make your special cake for a church dinner. You're not going to bring the worst cake you make. You know you're not going to. People will talk. Like the pastor, he'll talk. It's good or I will tell people. You're going to make the best one, and you know that you want to make it the best possible way. You want all the right ingredients there. Ingredients that would be, stay with me, it's simple, I understand. Ingredients that would be hurtful, you put those off. Don't put pepper in cake, amen? I've never heard of a cake with pepper. Pepper might be okay on something, but don't put it in cake. You will, on the other hand, put those things together that will make the best possible cake. And what he's doing here is he's putting this recipe in front of us. I'll I'll use the recipe analogy again a little later in the message. But he's putting this recipe for the right kind of home and the right kind of church together. No human can give you such a recipe. But the God of heaven can. And he gave it to an apostle who wrote it in 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 an eternal extant, perfect book. And he says, do these things of great value they will be to your life with Him, your communion with the Father. Of great value they will be to your Christian home. Of great value they will be to this church. Put off. Get rid of those things that would be harmful to the recipe. Put all those things in that should be there, and he lists them. He goes on. Also put into this, this recipe forbearance, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. Sometimes, Uh, You have to go beyond that forbearing and you've got to now just forgive. Why? Because Christ has forgiven you so much and you never paid a thing for it. You may have said you're sorry. You may have said, I am so sorry. Well, sorry's not good enough. Jesus had to die on the cross and he forgave you. You couldn't say enough sorries to keep you out of hell. You couldn't do enough penitence to keep you out of hell. Jesus had to do it and he had to forgive. He was the high priest and the sacrifice at the same time. And then he says, add to this also love. Above all, verse 14, love, love. Add that love that cares one for another, a caring church we have. Are you satisfied with how much you care one for another? (laughs) Never be satisfied. We talked about this in Sunday school. If you think you plateau with God, you're wrong. You'll only go backwards. Love more, love more, care more, care more, watch out more, keep doing it on and on. For the value of the church, for the value of your Christian home, put on charity. It's the bond of perfectness. God's word says that. Look into bond of perfectness. So important for this group. That is to be added. Then verses fifteen and sixteen. They are in a they're in a couplet that needs to stay together. They counter another earlier couplet in the passage. And they are these verse. 15, let the peace of God. There is a source for this particular peace. And it comes from no man. I have a peace in my heart that the world never gave. A peace it cannot take away. You've sung that. They can't give it. They can't take it away. But the peace of God, let, that means, govern yourself. Let the peace of God rule. Also, the word govern. Govern yourselves to be governed by the peace of God. To let that peace rule in you, we are in this vicious, horrible, really bad, godless world. And as I said to my Sunday school class earlier, I told them that I'd use an illustration again. It is only getting worse And it is the challenge to the Christian to be very careful how much of the airwaves you take in that could make you very, very despondent. We are to juxtaposition despondency with peace. Stress with peace. Tension with peace. Mayhem with peace. And the peace comes from God. Exchange them out. And it is possible for the Christian to have that. A couple that I was talking to way early this morning was saying that relatives of theirs, and maybe yours also, or friends of yours, listen to the talk show hosts that are just talking about how horrible, how awful things are. Well, I'm sorry, Rush, you don't need to tell me that. I can see it plainly for myself. And I don't need to hear it over, and over, and over, and over, and over, and over. You listen to five minutes of Rush, you've got everything he's going to say for the next three hours. He's just going to say it in different ways. He's a master at saying the same thing one million times in a row. And he will really get you down. But God says, no, let the peace of God rule. It's to have control of us so that in the midst of a horrible, terrible, really bad condition of of the world, we can be joyous and happy. We can sing, why should my heart be sad or despondent? His eyes on the sparrow. He never lost track of me. His son died for me. He did not die for the sparrow. He also says about that piece, right in the middle of that verse, verse 15, look at it. To which also ye are called in one body. You could put that in that recipe analogy. We've got to understand the admixture of this is missing something if it's missing peace. If someone in this room, in this body of believers, or someone in your Christian home is in constant turmoil over the state of life, is tossing and turning rather than letting the peace of God rule, you're going to upset the rest of us. You know that's the case. There are some people you don't like to be around because all they do is they talk bad. They talk down. They are so sad all the time. Wah, 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 wah. You see them coming toward you and you go, I'm going over there. Because you know their wah will will take root in your heart. Next thing you know, you're not going to wah. When in fact you ought to be joyful in the Lord because the peace of God is ruling and yes, it is possible for that peace of God to rule. Your outline, we really didn't look too much at the uh, introductory last week. I want to speak to that again. There is no conjunctive word between verses 15 and 16, but they obviously parallel one another. They parallel in this. One speaks of the peace of God ruling in your hearts, and the other speaks of the word of Christ dwelling in your hearts. And they go together because, as we said last week, God knows that we are sensory people. He didn't have to leave this for us. He could have spoken it all and said, okay, now you're on your own. That would be a deist mentality. I'm going to heaven and you just try to work it out. But no, he left us his word. What is the word? The word of Christ. So you can see how they go together. By the way, before the verse ends, the next verse, verse 16, He will give us a special way that the word can be applied. Look at verse 16. We talked about the peace. He then says, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you. I want to stop for a moment because you won't find anything about this in your outline. Dwell there does not mean it lies dormant. Think about it. The word of God is quick. That's Old English for Alive, It is blooming. It doesn't lie dormant. He doesn't want it lying. And again, the word let and, in and dwell are the same word in that verse. So we are to read it, be indwelled by the word as the word indwells you. Let the word indwell you as you are indwelled by the word. It is bookends to the believer in between to get to the Word, and He gave it to us because we're sensory people. So instead of being despondent, we find the peace of God in the words of Christ. And we let that flourish. Back to verse 16 though. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. We'll get to that in a moment. In all wisdom, we'll get to that in a moment. Teaching and admonishing one another, we'll get to that in a moment. Notice He gives a special way to do it. In Psalms and hymns. And spiritual songs. Hmm. And it's in the book. And he says to do it. And it's part of the piece. Because we're auditory. What blessing can come by our hearing this? <laughs> right now you're hearing it from a voice that's full of ragweed, I'm sure. I don't have I don't have allergies, you know, but ragweed is in my throat. Like a big bunch of it. You can hear it through the preaching of the word. And the Bible says it, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. Just say It pleases God to use the simplicity of preaching. That's what the foolishness means. But, simplicity of, but he also says you can convey this message through songs, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And we're going to press that matter before this message is over. I don't know if we'll get all the way to that even today. So, back to the beginning of this verse. It does go. The peace of God coincides with the word of Christ. They go together to just make us vibrant, healthy, happy, joyous Christians that are pilgrims in this despondent world on our way to a glorious place of bliss called heaven, and we have no business being sad. Paul wrote Philippians, the joy book, while he was in prison. He didn't allow his circumstances get him down. And let me uh, state also that you compare this couplet, verses 15 and 16, with the couplet 8 and 9. You used to walk in those wicked things. That couplet says, put off anger, wrath, malice. Stop lying to each other. Instead of that new couplet, let the peace of God rule in you and let the word of Christ dwell in you. So now, back to your outline. Last week we looked at these benefits. I hope you went home to think, oh, there are way more benefits for the indwelling word than just the four pastor gave us. Well, of course there are. I gave you four. The message can only be so long. Ron's back there going. That Ron. Just kidding. Four points that I gave you are these. A thriving faith. The benefits of indwelling word, a thriving faith that's worthy of note. The believers of Macedonia, they studied the word so that their faith was just blossoming. It was just amazing. Paul went around, you should see those people. They just trust in God. And By the way, those are the same Macedonians that didn't have any money to send to the relief of the believers down in Judea, but they scrapped up something somehow. Because they knew, if we give you the last thing we have to eat, God will take care of me. He feeds that little sparrow out there. And that was a faith worthy of speaking. And Paul said to the Thessalonians, you know what? Every place I go, I talk about your thriving faith. How did you get that thriving faith? That faith that just bubbles, that just shows that you are dependent upon, well, you got it by the indwelling word as we move through this chaotic world. The next one is that word, indwelling word, the benefit is, that it will give us the knowledge of the Messiah, his life, his message, his ministry, his sacrifice, and his coming reign. All of that is a happy story. The crucifixion, we think not happy. No, the crucifixion made it so I don't have to die forever. That's a happy, happy, happy story. And if it's indwelling in us, it really helps us along. The next one was a proper and effective prayer life. John 15, verse 7. As we get the word in us, we will learn how to pray rightly, and we won't be praying flippantly. We won't be praying tritely. We won't be saying just Heavenly Father, thank you for, this day. Thank you for everything, thank everything, In Jesus' name, Amen. And think that that prayer got out of the building. We will want to go to our knees, and we will want to talk to the Lord, and we will talk rightly because of the indwelling Word. And then the last point we gave you last week is a deterrent to sin, and the verse we looked at, Psalm one nineteen eleven. Thy word of thy word, thy, thy, thy word, a benefit of the word. Have I hid in my heart that I might not sin? You want something to keep you from doing that again, from feeling like oh, I've got to throw myself in the mercy of the Lord again, got to beg His pardon again? You want to do it? well? Go to the Word. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Number two, back to our text. You're now in Roman numeral 2 in your notes. We've not touched on this yet. Back to the verse. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. That's the second point. And the point is the measure and manner of this indwelling word. First of all, it is to be richly. You've taken some time to look that up. Have you studied that? Well, there's not much to study, folks. Richly equals liberal, abundant. I love this word. I don't know where I got it the first time. Copious. It must mean liberal or abundant because I hardly ever use it. A copious amount. In copious, in liberal, in abundant amounts, let the word of Christ take up occupancy. It can't take up occupancy unless you take it in. By listening to it over and over, I find trying to keep body and soul together as a Christian school teacher for a gob of years, I knew what I was doing. I was working in a Christian school where they couldn't pay me very much. So trying to feed my fat children, and my wife who is not fat but eats a lot of food, I painted, I painted and painted and painted, I'm keeping things I painted things. I painted everything in Longmont at least once. I painted his sign shop, didn't I? Remember that? I painted and I painted. I got pretty proficient, in that and I hated every moment of it. Way too tedious. I hate to paint. Don't ask me to come paint your house. I'm not going to do it. I painted everything in Longmont. Well, it was so tedious and it was so mindless that I would just start a tape player. Yes, kids, a tape player with cassettes of. The Cassettes. Ask your parents. Ask your grandparents. I would stick them in. They had God's word on them, and I would listen and listen and listen and listen. I can't tell you how much good that did. I was a Bible teacher in a Christian school, and before I'd go on Monday, I would be painting somebody's place on Saturday, and I'd be listening to that, and I'd go, I can't wait till Monday morning Bible class to tell the kids what I just learned. And I had a degree in biblical studies. Hmm. It was taking root. It was taking occupancy. It was becoming copious. And we need to do the same. Now, think about this. Back to that analogy. I don't care if this is as far as we get. I'm watching the clock. Every one of you in your life has something that you've done over and over and over and over and over. And over. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, who am I going to pick on? I could pick on James. He's an engineer. Engineer is not easy. I'm not picking on you. I'm just using partial illustration. So don't leave. Where he had to, when he first started, he had to look at the book and do the job. And then look at the book and then do the job. And then look at it. Got it. He was letting it indwell him. But I decided I'm not picking on James or anybody else except Marlene. Because we were using the recipe thing. Okay. There was a day way long time ago when she got the recipe book out, put it right there, one cup, two teaspoons, one tablespoon. Did I get this all right? She was taking it in from the book. All of you have been there. And then it wasn't long before she would open the book, And she'd glance, and do, and do, and do, and glance, and do, and do, and do, and glance, and do. Hmm. And then, she got to where she didn't open the book. You want to know how to make banana cream pie? Go to the person who is indwelled by how to make a big banana cream pie without even looking in the book. She is so indwelled by it that she went from reading instructions and doing to doing without instructions. But then the next step, to being able, get this now, to being able to take the instruction and give it to somebody else, to go from the learnee to the teacher. Because verse 16, that's where it's going a little bit. The word richly means copious. Get lots of it in you. Over and over and over and over. And it goes on. Back to your text again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then it says, in all wisdom. Hmm. In all wisdom. Get it in, get it in, get it in. That phrase, in all wisdom, is Well, it can be found and explained very well in our Awana verse, 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show. That word study is huge. It's not just go look at it a little bit. It means diligently draw it out. Get to your recipe book and go and go and go until you've got it down. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Approved is a huge word there. And who is making the approval? It would be the God of the universe. And until he can approve, we're not done studying. But then he says, rightly dividing. That phrase, rightly dividing, literally means to make a decisive, direct, correct, straight cut governed by a source of power. And in this case, the source of power is the Holy Spirit of God. Seeking the Holy Spirit to make that decisive, direct, correct, straight cut to get it so that it is absolutely where it ought to be and very particular. One Bible scholar says, implied in there is the Greek word anacharino, which is the same as an archaeologist would do as he sifts through the dirt and dust, pouring it onto a screen, letting the dust shake down and then pulling out the beautiful, beautiful treasure. That he found in that archaeological dig. It is an archaeological concept. To get rid of everything else, make that cut, get it right, and you have the Holy Spirit of God to help you with that. And why? So that you don't taint the instruction. Everywhere on the planet, that has been happening since the completion of the 10 of scriptures, and it's still happening today. It's a hobby horse of mine. But it is the anatomy of a cult. You take the truth and spin off the truth a little bit. How far off do you have to go? Here's the truth. How far? Here's the truth. Here is the word. How far off do you have to go to be a heretic? And who does that? Some little man who took something from the Word and decided to spin it the way he wanted it. The next thing you know, he writes a book about his spin and he gets a few followers. His name could be David Koresh. His name could be Rajneesh. His name could be Jim Jones. I'll give you those so far. A little bit later in history, here you still have the Word because the Word, the truth endures forever. And somebody who takes that man's spin, and suddenly becomes the next little prophets of that man's spin. They take the spin even farther. It's the anatomy of a cult. And now there are more of these little prophets doing the same thing, and they build their library even bigger. Why do they have to have this library over here? Doesn't they have the word? Well, they got to have the library to explain all their spin. And now they have a barrage of followers. Then you come up to 2014... And the spin is all the way over here. The libraries fill buildings. And that's where they go to preach their messages. Their followers are multitudinal. And they're tripping up everyone in the church. And especially the children. Matthew 18. Somebody said, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, bring a little child to me. And he said, in in all that he said to them, this is the kingdom of heaven. This is the way you get to the kingdom of heaven. He will humble himself. The Father will accept him like a little child, and he will come in the belief, the belief capability of a child. And then he goes on to say, and if anybody will offend a little one, it's better for him that a millstone be hanged about his neck, and be cast in the bottom of the sea. And that's what happens when people do not make that direct cult, that direct cut, that absolute cut, the cut according to the Word of God, comparing Scripture with Scripture, letting Scripture layer on Scripture layer on Scripture, and not taking the teachings of man, but going to the Word and filling it up with the Word, making sure that the Word sets the foundation for everything and that we do not taint it with man's thoughts. It's happening everywhere, and it's the reason for the weakness in the church today. And learned people think that they're doing the right thing by the church, and they're wrong. And all they're preaching is books off the library shelves. And that first guy could have his name could have been John, or Martin. All right. So, make sure we're doing it in all wisdom. The wisdom is comes from the Holy Spirit. The wisdom does not come from man. Back to your text, verse again. Are you in Colossians three? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Now, teaching and admonishing. You can see in your notes that those are our next two points. Teaching and admonishing. Um, go to Exodus. We're talking then and now. It was true of Scripture then. It is true of Scripture today. It is true of Scripture Old Testament. It is true of Scripture, New Testament, Exodus 24, verse 12. Lord said to Moses, Exodus 24: 12, were you there? The Lord said unto Moses, "Come up to me into the mount. You know where he is. It's called Mount Sinai. You know where he, why he's going up there. He's going to get something from God. It would be called the word that would then be quick and powerful, and today is still quick and powerful. It's lost none of its edge. Come up to me and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law, a perfect law, a law that comes from God, and commandments which I have written that thou mayest teach them. I want to stop for a moment and say this must be of the Lord that this portion of our challenge is on the day that the Awana workers meet. You have no bigger opportunity as a church mass. don't mean Catholic mass. I mean church group, church body in any area than you do through our giving of the word. Now, once again, we're not delusional. We know that our area parents who will not come to church, I don't care how many times I've asked them. They're dumping their kids on us as a free babysitting service. You know that some of those kids are coming in here because downstairs we feed them cookies. Get the word? No, cookies. But they will get the word. And some of them are coming here because their friends come and they were talking about it over at the school. You go into a one night, they don't dare say no. You will be an outcast. If you don't go to a wall over there on Wednesday night. So all of a sudden, there they are, all 95 of them. And some of them are coming because you get to run around in that gymnasium and bonk off the walls and throw balls at each other. That's why we're coming. Ask them specifically, are you coming to intake the word, word of God and have it dwell in you richly? What? But that will happen. The word of God will not return void. And the people prepared to do it are blessed of God for doing it. And God says, we are to teach and admonish. Now, we are to teach and admonish in this group here. Boys and girls, brothers and sisters, you are to teach and admonish one another, siblings. You use the word with your brothers and sisters. I get an email from time to time from my brother in Germany. He always starts his email with scripture. My stupid little brother is teaching me the Bible? Well, he better, he's told to, and he's not stupid. A little dull, but nothing. He is teaching me the Word. He's admonishing me with the Word. And anybody else that reads his email. It's his responsibility. It's your responsibility. The person sitting next to you, your husband, your wife, is to be admonished by you through the Word. When we come together in this group, when you meet together, when the board meets together, when your Sunday school class meets Get in the habit. When you invite a family to go eat with you someplace, get in the habit of admonishing one another with the word. But it won't come out of you if it's not in there. It will not be a natural thing for it just to exude if we haven't taken it on richly, letting it take up occupancy with us. Moses was told, you take this and teach it. Now, your other scripture there is Matthew 28 the Great Commission. And you know what it says there. Go into all the world and teach all nations. That word is different than the next word, teach. That word is to make a proclamation of the truth. The next word is to, in an ongoing systematic way, teaching them to observe what? All things whatsoever I have commanded you. Jesus was saying to us disciples, I'm going away. Second, teach. You get those people and you teach them, and teach them, and you do it systematically, and you don't let up. Don't let up, don't let up. I'm getting tired. Get overtired. Jesus hasn't come back yet. Jesus said, you do this till I come back. I'm going up in clouds. Then those men stood there in white apparel and said, you men of Galilee, you men of Akron, keep going. The same Christ will so come in like manner as ye have seen him go. In the meantime, he just told you to go Gave you a commandment, great commission. You go and take the word. And you teach it, and you teach it, and you teach it. And when people of our community will readily and of their own accord, voluntarily, we don't go out and drag them in. They'll readily, voluntarily put their children under our tutelage. Then we are to teach and admonish one another. Teaching them to observe all things. You understand what a one is? It's a half an hour of counsel time where somebody is asked to please come and impart the word to the children. Then it's a half an hour of memory time and singing the scriptures. And then it's a half an hour, go out and play some games and bonk off each other and hope they don't get hurt. That's what it is. So really, as far as the, the opportunity to teach and admonish, we have one hour a week with many, many of those children. And it's not enough, just in case you thought that one is enough time under the word. It absolutely is not. You spend time in God's Word yourself so that you are richly accruited, so that you are ready with all wisdom. You spend time as a family under God's Word. You spend time listening to God's Word. And then you get to church where you can be taught that by the Sunday school teacher who comes prepared with the Word, prepared with the Word, to use up the time teaching and admonishing. And then you better hope the pastor is ready with the Word. Very important to us. You have some subpoints there. And a blank for at least one of them. This teaching, teaching, sh- will show the sense of value we place on the Word. The sense of value we place on the Word. There are people who say that they're of Christ, they're born of Christ, who never want to talk the Word. They don't have it in them. They didn't read it that day. They don't go to church. Oh, I'm going to heaven. Well, let's talk about heaven. What does the Bible say about heaven? Well, how do you get there? Uh, Jesus died on the cross. Any more to that? Can you tell me justification, sanctification? Can you tell me propitiation? Can you tell me imputation of righteousness? Can you tell me any of that? And they're going, clueless. Don't know. Why? Because they haven't gotten to the word. So they have... They show you that the word to them is valueless. It's not a valuable thing to them. When it becomes a natural for you to talk from God's word and to be able to say the word of God says this. Do you understand that the first tenet of the New Testament church, I don't see it up here, New Testament church is that the Bible is our only rule of faith and practice. Did you play a football game this week? Do you have a playbook? Not your only rule of faith and practice. In fact, you've forgotten some of it already. That's why the coach had to yell at you last night. Wrong hole, ding a ling! I use clown a lot. Clown! I also called him Filberts. One day a guy on the sideline, Coach, what's a Filbert? It's a little nut, and that's what he is out there. Filberts! Okay? Your playbook is not your only rule of faith and practice. Here's the playbook for eternity. Study it, know it, have it in our hearts. It shows that we have a sense of value. And secondly, number two, it tests the sincerity of our commitment to the Word. Are we really sincere? Do we want this Word in us? Will we expect those that instruct us from the Word to bring the Word? We've all sat in a place at one time or another where the guy standing up here went off droning into never-never land. And you went home, I went home, we were going, what was that all about? What was he saying? Might have been a good brother in the Lord. Might love him in the Lord, but he went nowhere with the message because he wouldn't bathe it in the Word. Expect that. Expect that of yourself. Very, very important. The other word is admonish. You are uh, 2 Corinthians. Please go there. 2 Corinthians. We're to teach and admonish. In Corinthians 1, and this is just an example form. Everyone in this room, in your family, have admonished somebody. You might have done it this morning. I'm going to use the children, they're easy to bounce things off of. A child who sees another sibling doing something that dad will thump you for. And so they open the door and say, you better stop that or I'm telling dad. Have you ever heard that? Bethany smiling. You better stop that or I'll tell dad. Or better yet, you better stop that or dad will thank you, dad will ground you, dad will take the keys away from you, dad will make you work your fingers to the bone. What are they doing? They're admonishing. Now, that admonition doesn't always come in. You have to go back several verses to the word. Let all things be done with charity. There is a way to admonish out of a heart of charity, but that's what it is. It literally means to caution, to reprove, but to do so gently. You actually are to use the word to warn one another, to say Jesus hates that. You are only going the wrong direction. Once again, be careful... If you're going to send it in email, you've got to be very careful and very wordy. It is so much better to look them in the eyes, so they can hear a tone of voice, so that you can encourage them toward the right, encourage them away from the wrong, and do it in a loving manner with a loving tone. But to do it gently. But we are to do it. It's something that Christians, all of us, shy away. Well, most of us shy away from. Some people like confrontation. I think that's probably 10% of the population, and 90% of us don't want to confront somebody. Because it might become tick for tack and toe to toe. And it might become, uh, uh, well, I might lose a friend. Well, in the church, we are family. And God is telling us to admonish one another. Literally, to caution, to reprove. The chastisement is up to God. Reproof is a, a word, a worded rebuke. You've got to stop that. Galatians 6 verse 1. If a man be overtaken, talking about a brother, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, ye which have the Spirit of God guiding you, not that you're perfect, You which have the Spirit of God guiding you, rebuke such an one, in a spirit of meekness consider thyself. You're still a pot of clay, and you might do the same thing. You can do it in such a way as to help them along and not make yourself look like you are an untouchable and above them. But we are responsible to do this, and Paul does this uh, um, in... 2 Corinthians. He had rebuked them in a previous letter. Look at 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. For all the promises of God in him are yea and amen. Unto the glory of God by us. God must get the glory. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us in God who hath also sealed us, put the stamp, the Holy Spirit stamp on us, and given us the earnest of the Spirit, he made the down payment, that's what earnest means, in our hearts. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you I came not yet unto Corinth. Not for that we have dominion over your faith, but as helpers for your joy, for by faith ye stand, verse 1 of the next chapter. But I determine this with myself, that I would not come to you again in heaviness. My next time to admonish you will be kindly. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad, but the one that I made sorry? You go on, verse uh, three and four, and you can see what he's talking. He is saying that I needed to admonish you. I want you to know that I'm doing it in such a way as to not make you just grieve over the the condition of your church. I want you to be comforted. I want you to be happy. And my admonition is not to tear you down, but to help you up, because there will come a day when I need to be made happy, and I'll be calling on you to do that. It's a two-way street, and now Apostle Paul is speaking to that here is saying that we admonish one another and we lift each other back up. It's kind of like two guys on the same football team hitting each other to make each other better and getting that guy back up after you've made that block or made that tackle and help them out. By letting up, you don't make them better. By giving them everything you got, you can make them better. But there's also a right spirit of teamwork in doing so. Very, very important. Now back to your um, text verse. If you have a, have more thoughts on that, i be glad to hear you. If you've got something that uh, you've heard relative to this matter of teaching and admonishing, i love to hear you on it. I want to go back in our last two minutes to the passage of Scripture. You can see that we're not done. Next time we will deal with the end down here, but I want to start that admonition, that encouragement. Colossians 3 and verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Now, in Psalms, there's actually a literal meaning for that. We'll talk about that. We'll fill in your blank next week at the Lord Terry's. And hymns, there's a meaning for that. And spiritual songs, singing with what? Grace in your heart Did you notice that there's nothing sensual about this? There is something sensory. That is, this is an audible way of taking in, but it's not sensual. And that's the direction the church has gone. They've decided that they are going to have Christian rock. I've never heard a worse oxymoron in my life. This of the devil and this of God, they don't go together. What what concord hath Christ with Belial? The answer is none. You don't try to mix the things of God which should minister grace and touch our heart, our inner being with something that is sensual. We're talking the difference between sensory and sensual. You've got to be very, very careful. He is talking music here. And this music will bring honor and glory to God. And God is utterly holy. and He doesn't need some wicked man creating the musicality around the doctrines of the Word. That's all I'll say on that. Once again, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. There's meaning to each of those, but I just want to stop or end with this. Here is the biblical reasoning all the way to this last point, and then we'll stop. God is the Word, the Word is God. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The Scripture is the Word. The Scripture then, being given through teaching and admonishing, perfects the believer. All Scripture is given by inspiration, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, and so on. Why? That the people of God, the man of God, the woman of God, the children of God, the young people of God, should be perfect thoroughly, completely furnished unto all good works, that is what Awana is doing. That's what Sunday school is doing. Okay? So, the Word is God. The Word comes to us in Christ, the Word of Christ. He came to earth for us. It is meant for our improvement, our edification. And therefore, the users of the Word better have the Word richly indwelling them, they better bone up on the word, and so you will expect the pastor to be ready with the word as best he can. Now, pastors differ in intellect, and they also differ in ability to put it out there. But you will and must expect that the word sets the foundation of what the pastor teaches. And the same thing is true of the Sunday school teacher. Expect Sunday school teacher yourself to get into the Word and have yourself thoroughly ready with the Word. I've experienced some of our Sunday school teachers in this place expounding the Word. They do a very nice job. Don't let up. Don't let down. Make sure you're doing that. Also, those of you that impart the Word to Awana children, many of those kids are so unversed in the Word, you're going to have to start at scratch in the beginning. God created. You're going to have to say, for God so loved the world. Put your name there, little boy, little girl. But make sure you're versed in the love of God and in what eternal life really means for them. Make sure that you're readied with that word. Sunday school teacher, pastor. But hold it. He says, teach it also in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Just as a tease to you for next week. God will expect the music of the church to be well readied. It's in the book. It is meant to, to have the word richly embedded in it. If you've got a piece of music which is flippant, I was at a camp one time and it was a camp being rented, rented by one of these so-called church groups. I picked up their little songbook in the back. It was praise music. I searched for a theology in that little book. It was what some of us have come to call 7-Eleven books, sing the same seven phrases 11 times, then put it down. There was no theology to it. Come on, you my Lord. It was meaningless riffraff. Musicians, get to the book, make sure that what you're bringing is full of doctrine. And understand that God will expect you to be as readied, as prayed up, as consecrated, as dedicated as you would expect the pastor, the Sunday school teacher, the Iwana worker. Because it's in the book. Do it in music. And I'm speaking to the choir. This church is phenomenal. We can get better. And we can get more properly prepared. We can start doing this out of purpose unto Christ rather than performance to people. That's all I have to say today. Bow our heads and close our eyes. Father God, we thank you so much for your wonderful word, the word of Christ. We thank you for how it means and what it means to us. We thank you for how it schools us when we read it ourselves. How it prepares us when we hear it, even on tape or CD. We thank you for the encouragement it is to us as a, a teacher brings it we thank you so much for your wonderful word but now we, we look at your word and we see that you are expecting us to take it in for it to in a lively sharp way for it to take root in our hearts and to for us to get so good at it we don't need to look at the instructions again it just exudes from us we're able to teach others without going back and going back we can speak it because it dwells in us richly in all wisdom. Help us with that. I pray, Lord, that as we finish our service together, that we'd sing praise to you rightly, that maybe this little admonition about music will help us to sing better this last song than we've ever sung before. And then I pray that if there's someone here that still doesn't know your son, Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, that today they would let us know that, that they might even come in invitation form as we sing the last song, let us know Give them to somebody that can take them through the gospel. Bless these words to our hearts. Help us to meditate on them, but then to take them out of here and operate in them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.